Good morning. I hope you're well today. Uh, we are uh, still working through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to jump into one of the most famous lines, the most famous teachings of Jesus in just a moment. But before we do, um, I was really glad to see Nathan and Jenny's face this morning in our communion meditation. Um, miss them very, very much. And, um, and also uh, Katie and Jeremy, and those were a couple of, and some of you guys may not know this, but the church that we came from in Tennessee also sponsored both the Bills and the Daggetts. And so we've been uh, familiar with both of those mission points for a while. Um, there is something new and different today, um, and happy to announce this. Um, Central this morning, our missions committee met uh, with a young woman uh, and decided to partner with her in becoming an apprentice in, uh, to the work in Arequipa with the Daggetts. And Deborah Rodrigo is here with us. If you'll stand and we'll, uh, everybody. Um, and so she is headed, uh, thank you, thank you. She is headed to uh, Arequipa very, very soon. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we are so glad to be partnered with you. And we're so glad for you listening to the spirit of Jesus and, and finding a way to join him in his work, okay? And we are with you. To be clear, we'll be here, but we'll be with you, okay? We'll be with you. And we know that God, uh, God too, uh, is with us all as we work in his, in his world. Let's pray for Deborah and for our friends in our Kipa, for the church there, uh, before we head on to the sermon today. Let's pray together. Oh God, who rules over all the world, who gave your son, who sent your son into the world so that all would be redeemed. Right now, we know that there are our brothers and sisters in the city of Arequipa, in Peru, and though they are distant and in ways strangers to us, O oh God, our hearts are for them. And because of your son and because of your spirit, we love them and we want, we want them to flourish in your name. And so we pray for Katie and Jeremy, for the rest of the leaders of that church, for all of the brothers and sisters in that place. And we ask that you would be present with them. And we ask that the gospel would bear fruit among them. And God, for Deborah too, today, we're glad to enter into this partnership. We are grateful for the movement of your spirit in her life. And we would pray that you would be present with her, that you would allow her speech and her actions and her life to be a witness to your kingdom. And Father, we pray that she would fling seeds all over the place in Arequipa. We pray that you would tend those seeds and water them. And we pray that there would, they would bear fruit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God be with you, Deborah. When Jesus was a child, there were two famous rabbis. 
These two rabbis would go on to uh, just really reshape Judaism in many, many different ways. And there are so many stories recorded of the ancient rabbis, Hillel and Shammai. Many times there are stories told in the Talmud about how those two rabbis would approach problems differently and the way that they kind of looked at it, at things from different angles kind of became a major force in what would become Judaism today. Just kind of the scrubbing of these two forces together. There's one part of the Talmud that tells the story of three Gentiles that came to be converted by these rabbis. And they first came, one of them first came to, uh, to, to the elder rabbi, uh, Shammai, and they came to him, and Shammai was a builder, and he was standing there with his, um, his ruler, essentially, his cubit builder's staff, okay? And he was standing there, and the, the, the first Gentile that came to him said, uh, Rabbi, I, I would love to be converted. This pagan man said, I would love to be converted, um, but before I do, uh, I want to be clear that I'm only willing to learn the the written law. I know that, and he said, how many laws are there? Well, there's a written law and there's an oral law. I'm only willing to learn the written law. And um, Shammai, like, shooed him away. <laughs> said, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that nonsense, right? Like, go, go on away. And he went to Hillel and Hillel started to patiently teach him and taught him some of the differences in the way that they thought about those laws. And, and, and the man ended up being, being converted. And uh, another one, another one of these, of the Gentile people, uh, the pagan came up to uh, Shammai and said, uh, I want to become a convert to Judaism, but the only, I want to give a condition before I do that. I will only become a Jew if you make me the high priest. Now you can appreciate the boldness of this, right? Like if I'm going to be a convert, I'm going to go all the way. Shammai didn't think very much of this request. And so he took the little staff in his hand, his little ruler, and he just smacked it with it. And the man like ran away. But he ran away and he found Rabbi Hillel. And Hillel began to patiently teach him. And he taught him and continued to teach him until the point where after he became a Jew, he said it was essentially sacrilege for me to, to it was it was sacrilegious for me to say to, that I want to be the high priest. That was beneath me, and I repent of that. By this point, you are very thoroughly wondering why in the world I'm talking about these two rabbis. And it's because I want to tell you about the third person that came to them. The third person came to Rabbi Hillel, or came to Shammai and Hillel in turn, actually, Coming to Shammai, he said, I want you to teach me. I will become a Jew, provided that you can teach me the entirety of the Torah, your law, okay? Teach me the entirety of the Torah while I am standing on one foot. Shammai, of course, smacked him with a stick and he ran away, okay? But he went to Rabbi Hillel and he said, Rabbi, I desire to become a Jew. And I want you to, I will do it only on the condition that you can teach me all of God's law while I stand on one foot. And, and Hillel had an answer for him. Um, and, 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 and he converted and he became a Jew. And then both of all three of these uh, Jews came to, uh, now Jews, these converts who had become 
Jews used to be pagans. They came together and they said of the two rabbis, they said, Shammai by his impatience wanted to drive us away from the world into Judaism. But Hillel took us where we were and brought us beneath the divine presence of God. Hillel's answer, while that third man was standing on one foot, was this. Would you like to hear it? I'm on one foot here. Would you like to hear it? Whatever is hateful for other people to do to you, do not do those things to them. This is the entirety of Go and study more. When Jesus comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking in the tradition of Hillel this time around, that old rabbi who was still alive when died when Jesus was probably about 15 or so. Jesus says, after he's given this whole sermon in which he has encouraged his disciples to take on a righteousness which exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, he's speaking in the tradition of Hillel, says, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, if you're paying close attention now, you can see that he kind of outdoes Hillel in a couple of levels, right? It's not just the law, this is the prophets too. But even more than that, and most importantly, Jesus tells his disciples not just to avoid doing those things which are harmful or hurtful or which they would absolutely hate it if somebody did it to them. Jesus tells them not just to avoid the negative impacts that they might have on other people, but instead Jesus says, if you would have other people do it for you, then actively, positively, go and do it for them. And in this golden rule, Jesus shows us a path for a different way to live. A way that is not just concerned with myself, but a way of engaging with my brothers and my sisters, a way of engaging with my neighbors, even a different way of engaging with my enemies, a way of love that is radical and beautiful and costly. Now, Jesus here in this phrase, uh, do to others as you would have them do to you, he uses this as a summary, a summary of all of the law and the prophets. I mean, it's so absolute, actually, the way he says it. This is the law and the prophets, okay? In other words, all of the things that are in the law and the prophets are kind of boiled into this. This is a distilled version of everything that you've heard before. And I gotta tell you, one of the interesting ways of thinking about what you might find in the law or in the prophets is thinking about how they are represented well in what Jesus says. 
In other words, this phrase that Jesus gives us is a key to unlock some of those passages that we might feel sort of distance from. Struggling with reading Isaiah? Maybe read it in light of that old golden rule. Struggling to think about what Hosea is talking about? Well, maybe the golden rule has something to say about that. Trying to think about what, I mean, come on. How many of us struggle to read Leviticus? Come on. Maybe we need to read it in light of the golden rule because Jesus says that embedded in that rule, embedded, embedded in that phrase is all of the Torah, all of the prophets. It unlocks it. It lets it fall right open. But it's not just a summary, I think, of the law and the prophets, as Jesus has said it, because we have to remember where we are. We're finally in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're in the third chapter, the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapters 5 and 6, Jesus has been at work teaching us about what it means to really understand the things that we've heard before how we might understand what we've heard from the law or what we've heard from the prophets or what he might've heard from just the, maybe that oral tradition that uh, Rabbi Shammai wanted to defend with his stick. You have heard it said, but I say to you, right? All those things. And what Jesus says in the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. It turns out that that's not just a summary of all the things that you have heard it said. It's all also a summary of all the things where Jesus said, but I say to you, think about it. When Jesus tells his disciples in chapter five to not just passively go on with the ways of worship, but instead when they have a place of reconciliation where their brother has something against them, they're to stop and go through and go back and be reconciled to their brother immediately. And if that's puzzling to us, maybe we should read it in light of. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if the golden rule is the way, the standard by which we live, we'll find that, you know, having that unrest left alone and, and having that, um, that enmity and that division between a brother, oh, that brother would want to be reconciled, you would hope. And if you were him, would you want to just wait until you have to like, he has to come to you with his tail between his legs? Or if you were him, wouldn't you want, wouldn't you hope that your brother would come initiate that and offer you the grace and the mercy to make things right? Jesus tells his disciples, teaches his disciples about anger, right? And what if it was you on the other side of that? What if the, the disciple, what if a disciple of Jesus encounters somebody with whom they are greatly anger, angry? Doesn't it make sense that that person in that moment, if you could not just look at the situation from your own perspective, from the perspective of the rage which blinds you to your brother or sister, but if you can think about it from their perspective, all of a sudden, the thing that Jesus teaches us about restraining ourselves from anger, it's, it's no longer a mystery. It becomes more like, well, of course, of course, from the perspective of my brother, I would want people that I know and love, I would want them to restrain 
their anger and the way that they act towards me, right? Or when Jesus talks about adultery, I mean, how do you feel when people treat you like you're just an object? I mean, I'm tired of being loved just for my body. Tired of that laughter too. I'm just going to say that was uncalled for. That hurt. That was hurtful. You want to be seen just as an object? Maybe in that old prohibition about lust. Perhaps if we have the golden rule in place first and remember that it is Jesus lays it on us to treat other people like we want to be treated. Maybe that comes before those other spaces, right? See what Jesus has to teach us in the Sermon on the Mount. He has, we've talked about that. I know that if we study through this in our sermons, as we study through it in the classes, there are so many places where you come on some of these texts and you're like, this is, it's just hard. What Jesus says seems to take that standard and he makes it so, so high and it seems like a difficult thing to get to. And it is difficult, it is difficult in places. It is difficult when Jesus teaches us not just to love the people that can do stuff for us, but to learn to love our enemies too, to pray for the people that are persecuting us. It's, it's a difficult teaching. But it gets a little simpler. If before we get to the law of trying to follow a rule, we first settle ourselves on the principle that in everything we do, we're going to do it like we would want somebody else to do it for us. This is a life-changing principle. It is a principle that can dislodge us from just chasing after the things that are only good for us and sends us into the world pursuing the good of our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, even seeking the good of our enemies. Just the switch that says, I'm going to look at the people in these situations. I'm going to encounter the people that I meet, whether they are in need or whether they're in opposition to me. The people that I encounter who I find difficult and the people that I encounter that I would tend to ignore. I'm going to find all of those people and I'm going to do my best to look into their lives and to try to see things from their perspective. I'm going to always ask, what if it was me? What if it was me that was the subject of my anger? What if it was me that felt like I was at an impasse with a brother and couldn't figure out how to reconcile and get together and just get over the conflict? What if it was me? What if it was me? I know in the 40s class, Chad was teaching today and talking about that old question, the WWJD thing, right? And the WWJD thing, like what would Jesus do is a great question. I mean, it's a great question, right? But it is such a puzzle. But to me, the golden rule, our following of it really depends on this golden question. Learning to ask, what if it was me? What if I was in their place? 
When Jesus teaches his disciples this, and we've come across this word several times over the course of the sermon, I think Jesus is moving his community towards empathy, toward the place where we are trained to learn to see things from other people's perspectives. When I've kind of, um, I, I, I love a good movie, I love a good story, a good book, um, and one of the ways that a book can really turn on a dime and really, uh, really catch my attention very quickly is in those moments, whenever whatever kind of story it is, has an, a dr- drastic shift in perspective. Well, you know, kind of like the old uh, Sixth Sense thing, right? Where all of a sudden you realize at the end of the story that the, um, you guys have seen the movie, right? I mean, it's 30 years ago. It's, you're too late. Spoilers don't count at that point, right? All of a sudden you have this realization that the main character, the things that he was saying through the time, he was not perceiving reality correctly and his perspective changed. You know what I'm talking about? More or less. Sorry, teens, you're too late. <laughs> That's funny. I was reading a book this last week um, and in that book there was a story where these Different sisters who had all encountered terrible abuse. They were all kind of living, assuming that they had encountered the worst of it. But there was this kind of magic moment in the book where they all, they didn't get past their own stuff, but they all learned to see each other and what that reality had meant for them. And the book just changed, the story just changed instantly. When we open ourselves to be able to see the experiences and perspectives that other people have, it can't help but change the way that we live. And that's what Jesus is calling us to in this golden rule. To think not just of what's the bare minimum of like not harming something. Man, I think Hillel's answer was, you know, revolutionary in its own way. Like try to think about the perspective of other people. But Jesus says, not just don't do what other people, like if you would absolutely hate it. But can you get into the shoes of somebody else and think about what it is that they deeply need? In that story in the Talmud, it's not lost on me that this this is a conversion story. That it's the story about people who are outside of the law of God, they're outside of the people of God, and they are strangers to what, uh, what God's Torah means and all that. And in that story, there are people that are crying out saying, we want to be part of the people of God. Can you teach us a new way in? It makes me think about Jesus's golden rule and about how missional it is. How for a people that want to be witnesses of the love of God in the world, that want to be witnesses of what God is at work doing in the world, that one of the greatest tools we have is to just stop thinking about things from our own perspective. 
We've said a phrase over and over again this summer about this, this sermon. The sermon in the city, right? And we're thinking about what it means for what, what kind of impact a community that is formed and shaped by this sermon can have in the world. And I want to say again, I hope it's not getting old to you yet, but I want to say that this, this city needs people who can look at things from beyond their own perspective. Because it makes a difference. I know in our family this week, you know, you, some of you guys, have, anybody that's asked me how my week has gone has heard me say something like, it's gone so great because our kids went to school and in the schools they went to, they found people that like reached out to them, right? I, I mean, I just have to stand in front of you today as a dad saying that part of what's made a difference for my world this week is that there have been a people who weren't just thinking about themselves, but instead they reached out to my kids and made a difference. And I can tell you that as city schools start this week, there are kids all over this city that need a friend. They need a student that will look at them not just as a stranger, not just as somebody to be used to gain more popularity for yourself or to get more of what you want. They need to be seen for who they are, for the things that they need, for the place that they're in, in, in their shoes, right? They need a teacher that'll look at them and look at them not just as a problem and not just as an obstacle to getting through and surviving another day at school. Look, I know it's hard, man. But they need a teacher that'll be able to look at them with empathy and ask, what if it was me in that desk, what would I need? Not just the kids, man. You know, in your office, if you work with more than two or three people, there is somebody in your office that feels like an absolute stranger in the world and they are sitting there swimming, feeling like nobody really gets There's somebody in that space that is wishing that anybody really understood them and loved them for who they really are. And just like Deborah's got a mission in the world down in Peru, Jesus is sending you into that space, into your office, into your circle of friends, into your neighborhood, into your school, into your place. And Jesus is sending you there so that the people there will know that somebody sees them. That somebody in seeing them dares to love them. And by practicing that love, by practicing that empathy, by practicing the discipline of seeing people for what they need. Jesus' people become the light of the world, witnesses to the love of God that knows each of us deeper than we know ourselves. The golden rule isn't just to make us ourselves as individuals more righteous in some kind of 
scored away. This is a principle for changing the world. And God has charged you and me with following it. Let's stand together. And let us pray. Oh Lord God, open our eyes that we may see each other, that we may see our neighbors, that we may see our enemies. Open our eyes and give us wisdom that we may perceive not just how we might benefit from using the people in our lives, but how we might serve them and provide the love that they need. And oh God, would you enlarge the capacity of our hearts that we may understand what it means to love fully and well in the same way that you have given love to us. And may this be for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.